Hello and welcome to Talking Flutes Extra, the P inside of the pod, the A-flat melodic major scale in between the pages of the scale book, or simply the lesser extra podcast in the Talking Flutes series. Hello, I am Jean-Paul Wright. This week, and following a little bit of a stir created when it was omitted in one of the previous TF Extra podcasts, the joke of the week is back, and I have a Skype interview with Ivan Alerkin, the Russian-born flute player, composer and arranger, now living in Washington, D.C. Before I speak with Ivan, a little bit of podcast housekeeping before we proceed too far. Thanks to some of the many questions and comments that you send in. And the first one is from a Jenny Hasselwhite in Texas. I hope I pronounced that right, Jenny. Jenny Hasselwhite, who asks, Hello, Talking Flutes. How do you try and relax before playing in a concert or performing for an exam or a regional audition on the flute? Now, that is a really interesting question to start with, and one where I'm sure all of you will have your own strategy. From my own perspective, I have always liked to take 10 to 15 minutes to close my eyes and simply meditate. I do this with my iPhone headphones, and the music I usually listen to is called Devi Prayer. D-E-V-I-P-R-A-Y-E-R. You can find it on Spotify or iTunes. And it's by Craig Prues, P-R-U-E-S-S, and Ananda, A-N-A-N-D-A. I find the track a simply perfect way to clear the mind and allow me just to be in that moment. I also use the beautiful chords and vocals to allow any thought that comes up into my mind to come and go. I also find that the 10 to 15 minutes lost in my own world, thinking of nothing, really does help me relax. Now I do appreciate it's horses for courses and that the ability to take 5 or 10 minutes before you perform is not really easy for anybody to actually achieve, especially with your subconscious mind going mad at you. However, if you've never tried it, just put in some headphones, put in some nice relaxing music and try and chill Any thoughts that come into your head, just let them come and go. Easily said than done, I do appreciate. And perhaps, yes, you're right, it's down to practice. But isn't flute playing? Anyway, another question from Arthur Bennett in Brisbane, Australia. Dear Talking Flutes, what are your views on all the gadgets that are now appearing, such as the Headcourt Resonator, the Lafrique, the Bo Peep, etc.? Well, quite simply, Arthur... I have no views whatsoever which should hold any sway with your good self. You see, I am personally open to anything which can assist a flute player, and so my own recommendation, for what it's worth, would be to try things as they come along and make your own judgment on how they make you feel when you use them. Also, listen to how you perceive your sound or performance changes as a result. You see, too often we find ourselves making judgments on things in our life based not on our own experiences, but on what we may have seen or heard from others. Social media, in my own personal experience, is the problem in that even if you are not looking for it, you can find views and opinions freely voiced by others, which are aimed at validity or negativity. When it comes to making music, each and every one of us is unique, and we should remember that when we are testing these things. After all, we don't all play the same brand and model of the flute, do we? So why shouldn't we allow ourselves to make our own mind up about these new gadgets that are on the market? 
So just to reiterate, Arthur, my recommendation is you test away and make your own judgments. Now, moving on, as I mentioned previously, and judging by our mailbox, you thoroughly enjoyed listening to Bill Dowdle playing Danny Boy. And yes, it was a slight deviation from our usual podcast structure here. (laughs) If there is any, that is. However, it did get me thinking. And perhaps the 17 of you who have asked that we include a little performing ditty in each of our TF Extra podcasts could be possibly right. So, this week, taking that as read, and before I have the Skype interview with Ivan Lerchin, here is a rendition of the beautiful Snowy-Breasted Pearl, played by the wonderful William Dowdle from his CD entitled Irish Melodies on the Celestial Harmonies label. So just give yourself permission to close your eyes for a moment and let yourself be indulged.
Hello, Flutey Tooties, it's London here. Well, it's Graham anyway. Now, I was a bit disappointed that you missed me out a couple of weeks ago, and I'm playing so glad to be back. Back telling jokes. Back where I belong. Back taking the Mickey, the Michael, taking the proverbial out of you, Flutey Tooties. Now, I was going to tell you a joke about staccato today, but that's too short. So I'm probably better giving some advice rather than a joke. And that is to all you parents of fluty tooties out there. Don't let your kids watch symphonies on TV. Why? Because there's too much sax and violins. <laughs> Laters! Right, I am joined this afternoon in this rather sunny day here in England via Skype from Washington, USA. An old friend of mine, Ivan Elachin. Now, Ivan, you're probably going to pull me up on my pronunciation of your surname. Can you please tell me exactly how, how you say it? Okay, Jean-Paul. Um, I pronounce it Alochin, but over the years I've gotten used to many versions of my surname and I've accepted them all as, you know, as the right one. So, Alechin is fine. Alochian is more authentic, whichever way works. <laughs> well, as from now, it'd just be Ivan anyway. Now, <laughs> I met, as I said, I met Ivan many years ago. He's a graduate of the Royal Academy of Music in London, where he studied with William Bennett and Claire Southworth, and took his master's at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester, where he studied with Richard Davis, Paul Edmund Davis, and Kevin Gowland. Now, Ivan's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful flute player, but aside from that, he's also an accomplished composer and arranger. And really, Ivan, when I looked on your website, the first words that struck me, apart from your picture, was quite powerful. It says, music is a form of art so powerful it is able to conduct emotion itself through the barriers of time and history. Yes. Can you let me know in your words what you mean by this? Yes, um, it's something which I've thought about uh, in the past and I guess I had to make a decision as of whether to even leave it on the website or put it up, up or not. It's something which I started thinking about when I started to do composition and conducting a lot more seriously when I actually started getting lessons and tuition in this. And I guess as I was trying to educate myself as a musician not just as a flute player, but, you know, getting more into symphonic repertoire and uh, all the rest. And I, I'm quite interested in the music of Dmitry Shostakovich. It's kind of my pet subject. Uh, I, I like to read books about that and, and all that, and of course I, lo I love the music. But so much of it was connected with the history of the 20th century in Russia that it kind of started to fascinate me well, exactly how much connection is there and how much emotion is in this music and why. And it, it, it got me interested, basically, and I've started reading a bit more about the history and a bit more about the music and listening more. And, and I've realized that, um, in this case at least, in the, in the case of the 20th century music in Russia, it, it really much is a historic document, an audio document, um, at the time when things couldn't be written down on paper, 
Um, you know, there was a period of time when even diaries were banned. People couldn't write diaries. It was against the law. So it's very much an audio document, and it speaks and, and tells things about the time, what happened. And I thought that, well, I believe that it applies to more than just Shostakovich's music. I believe that it applies to music in general, in different times, different centuries, to some extent. So I thought of that quote. Three words jump out at me with that, sent, with that phrase, which is art, powerful, emotion. Three yes. things just jump out. And as you say, it encompasses everything to do with art. And you're just applying it to music in this context. However, it is such a powerful statement. Yeah, I agree. You've already touched on the fact that you began your life in Russia. Tell Indeed. us a bit about growing up in Russia, because it's such a rich musical and artistic place. Yes, yeah, so um, I was born and I grew up in Moscow, where um, I've spent 16 years in, so I've been in Russia until I was 16, and then, you know, my journey has started, I'd say, uh, which led me to Britain and then to the United States. Yeah, I, I grew up next to a... Um, sort of kindergarten, I guess, or very early music. You know, music for young kids, for kids who just want to do something, I guess. <laughs> or whose, whose parents want their kids to do something rather than just sit at home. So I was exposed to music quite early on. And then I've always done music alongside my normal academic school and sort of normal growing up. In, in Russia, in Moscow, you usually, if you choose to do music, you specialize in it. So you go to a specialized music school and you get your one-on-one -on -one lessons there, you get your theory, you usually get singing, you sing in a choir. I'm pretty sure it was compulsory up to a certain age after which you can decide not to do, to do it, but you have to do it in the beginning. There is, um, I think it's called Kodai. Oh, Kodai, yeah. Rhythmics. So we did that, and of course, lots of solfeggio, flute lessons, piano lessons, which many take, as well as a second study, at least up to a certain level, people take it. Yeah, and that's, that's that. So wh what age did you actually start the flute, even? <laughs> I've started the flute, mm, I think I was about seven years old, six to seven, but before that... I actually played on a recorder for two years <laughs> because I was small, of course, um, and it was believed at the time that well, recorder is a good instrument to start you off at, and then you can decide whichever you, whichever whichever other wind instrument you want to take up. So you could change from that onto other instruments. But I actually started from playing piano. I started playing piano when I was four, my first lessons, and then I kept it kept it up up until very recently. How did you find the transition from Moscow to London when you first came over? Well, my transition was, in fact, from Moscow to Manchester. Yes, I, um, I left Russia when I was 16, and I ended up in the Cheatham School of Music, yeah, for, for two years, uh, which is a boarding school in Manchester, specialist music school, uh, but very different from what I've had in the past, very different. How was your English when you first came over? Oh, gosh. Oh, you'll, you'll hear uh, contradicting accounts 
uh, <laughs> from myself and probably everyone else. Well, when I went, you know, to to myself, I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm fine. I'll, I'll get there. I can. I could read. Uh, well, basic reading, but I could. I could read, and I could say a couple of things. But then you faced with the sheer speed at which people converse in their native language. So that was a big shocker, right? And then British accent was another thing which I had to grapple with. I couldn't understand why. What is an apple versus apple? As I've learned, yeah, but it took me a while, but I had some help. They were really good at giving some guidance. And then I've pushed myself as well by taking things like theater and drama to see whether, well, I... It'll help, it, it will help me improve my spoken English and other skills related to that. But you've, so, al- you've always been driven individually, Van, ever since I've known you. So when you came down to London, who did you first study with? So I came to London to study the Royal Academy of Music. I've had lessons with Claire Sarsworth to start with, and I actually kept my lessons throughout my academy years, but then halfway through, well, almost halfway through, I also started having lessons with William Bennett. And then you proceeded to postgrad back in Manchester. Indeed, yes. Yeah, I went back to Manchester. Um, what made you go back there, rather than postgrad in London? I felt that by going to Manchester and studying there, I would personally get a more round education. At the time, I felt that it would be good to have a change rather than staying at the same place for six years. I thought it would be good for me and I could learn different things about music and different approaches to music in Manchester, um, judging from the atmosphere of the place and what I've heard from people who studied there and what I saw people doing there, achieving. So you've gone from Moscow, in a very short time, you've gone from Moscow to Manchester to London to Manchester... And now, to America. <laughs> now to America, yes. Whereabouts are you living? So I'm near D.C., Washington, D.C., uh, and Baltimore. And how are you finding the U.S.? It's great. Uh, it's different, of course. Every time, every time you make a change, you, you have to figure things out. But it's great, yeah. Right, Ivan, now you've been to two different colleges in the U.K., what advice can you give to the young aspiring flute player who has yet to go to music college? Ah, oh, gosh, yes. Um, I guess, from, on one hand, I would, I would say regular practice and routine in terms of your playing, in terms of preparing, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of younger players worry about, at least I certainly was worried about it quite a lot, or how do I get there, right? But on the other hand, I think... What is important and what I found extremely helpful in my uh, time is the belief that you can get there and wanting to as well. That's important, you know, the belief that you can actually get there and not be yes. overburdened by the expectations of my not, might not be able to. Well, exactly. I think it's very helpful not to be negatively self-critical by which I mean you really want to go you know, to an audition or to a performance and you want to show what you are best at, right, and what you love to do. 
versus thinking to yourself, oh, I'm not good at this thing, or it's not perfect. Because, yeah, especially at this, I would say, age, at this time in your musical journey, you know, it's, it's not about being like a recording, right? A perfect recording, which actually, in fact, people have takes. They have many takes. They have more than one chance to put together. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. self-criticism is so hard when you're younger and you have this dream of going to music college and you know that there'll be lots of other people trying to get in for the very few places that are there. It's really hard, yeah. that self-criticism, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's harder when it becomes negative self-criticism. It, you need to be worried about the right sort of things, I would say. So worrying, oh, I'm not good at this, is not productive, I would say. Yeah, so would I, because it could be the certain part of your brain telling you something just because it wants another reaction. Yes, I would yeah. totally agree on that. Worrying about, well, I can do this, how do I do this, is, is different. Because then you start thinking what, what you're going to fix and what you're going to work on. But I, I certainly remember being in this... Especially, I guess I'm talking closer to the audition uh, period, you know, when, when I knew that I'll have to go there and I have this one chance and I didn't know on the, what was going to happen at all. I roughly knew where I would like to go, but to be honest, I didn't know for sure. And the best advice I had is, um, yeah, don't worry about sounding like a recording there. Um, don't worry about being absolutely perfect because you want to show what you love and you want to show the potential. Well, it could be great as well, right? I can hear this uh, thing happening and you want to share it with the others. Yeah, so focus on what you can bring rather than what you think the other people will, will play like. Um, so what is the human reality of life at Music College? Not only oh, on yeah. your instrumental, but also your psychological workload. And what advice can you give here? Because I meet so many students that are practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. And it does have an effect on how you're feeling and how you're performing. It does, absolutely. I guess a couple of things here as well that I believe. Well, first of all, college, the music college or whichever, university, it's not the same as the rest of the world, <laughs> as you find out once you leave college. <laughs> it certainly is a special time in anyone's life, in anyone's experience, because you're surrounded by people with the same ideas or the same passions, which is great. You are in an atmosphere of people who are united by something similar. And, of course, you, you're progressing through that and you want to do your best you don't want to waste your time, I guess. And ultimately, you have one goal. As you say, it's not like diff being out in the outside world. When you are there studying your flute, you have a specific goal in your life in that you want to play the flute. So therefore, did you find it all-encompassing and all-consuming? I find that the most important things I've learned from being in this atmosphere, being in, in, in colleges, is, first of all, figuring out how do you work. 
yourself, you personally. Because when I came to college, it was the same for me, you know. I would wake up at 7 in the morning, or before actually, to get to college, and I would practice in the morning, and, you know, I'll try to get as many hours in as I can. Um, <clears throat> because I had to practice, right? I was in college, I, had, I was at the Royal Academy of Music, I had to get a little bit better, at least. And I came to the point where I just felt, you know, I'm doing a lot, but it's not working quite as well. Like, I'm starting to enjoy it less, and I'm not doing as much progress. Like, what's happening? And I guess I, I realized that it was maybe this external pressure that pushed me, and slotted me into into practice rooms and practice times. Oh no, it has to be in the morning and leaving. But then um, freeing yourself from that and realizing, well, what's the best for me? How do I progress? Thinking about that helped me to kind of build up my own routine and my own progression. And it actually eased off a lot of pressure because you become self-driven. You set yourself your own challenges, and then you try to fulfill them. It certainly helped to, to be self-driven more rather than being driven by the being in college. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very similar. I mean, I've had three children go through university, and I remember come third year, they were boxing clever. The first year, they were killing themselves with the pressure and the study. Year two, the second year, they were still working hard, but they had found ways of working hard. And third year, they ended up working smarter, trying to find out who they were and what they wanted. So I suppose there's parallels there, isn't there? There are parallels. I would definitely say as well that, you know, you're in college, but it's okay to to have doubts. But things because when you have doubts, you start to think. Yes, that's important. Yes. I agree. And you start to, to asking the right questions and finding, hopefully, finding answers. And it certainly is the time to, to, to question and find answers because, well, you, you can afford that in a way. You can search for things and you can try things out. Um, yeah, I like that. Searching for, being open to questioning and then searching for answers yourself. Because it's only by doing that can you really, going back to your original point, find out who you are. Absolutely. You know, when, when I was studying in, um, in Moscow, um, as I said, music is very specialized. You specialize in it. You don't kind of just necessarily do it for fun as much, I would say. Uh, you, you know, music is good for you. It helps other things improve, all those points. But then it also means that you kind of pick let's say, an instrument, and you stick with it, no matter what. So, like, if you're a flute player, you're going to be a flute player, you know, doing a certain set of things. Um, which, in a way, as well, is um, outside pressure from being in... Okay, in a specialist, specialist music school. It, it tells you this thing, you have to be this. And if, if I stuck with that mindset, nothing else outside that exists, I would have never tried any of the things like arranging or composing or, conduct or conducting, which I eventually did try when I was at the Royal Academy. And 
the reason why I sort of branched out is, well, first of all, because I felt that I always wanted to. Parts of me always wanted to, but I would never allow myself because I was a flute player, right? Um, and by actually trying them out, it has enriched my flute playing a lot. It, I have found so many new ways of thinking and working and learning about what I need to do that at the, in the end, actually, I think, fed into my practice as well, helped me to work smarter and more productively rather than just, you know, hard hard work and throwing yourself against the wall. <laughs> so, so if we encompass everything in there, Ivan, of what you've been saying in these last... Uh, last 10-15 minutes what we're looking at is you've said you read a lot you em embrace um, other music you embrace trying to find out who you are as an individual you embrace doing things outside of music knowing that the whole will improve your performance yeah that's very much what we were talking about it's the main point out of this is you will... Um, so nothing is wasted. You will enrich your playing in the end of the day. You will enrich your your musicality, your music, your performance by learning as much about the world and about things that are close to flute playing, close to music, but not necessarily just specifically flute playing. It's the same analogy as, you know, when, when we look at the music, we only see one line. We see, what, 10% of the music. You look at the musical score, and you see 100%. You see everything the composer put. The words he might have put in the piano part that got missed in the flute part. <laughs> oh, look, there's a huge, massive piano Rachmaninoff moment here, which I never listened to because I didn't know it was there. You know, at the end of the day, it's going to enrich your performance, but you need to know how to read the score and what to look for that you can only do by by trying it. That's that's the other thing. I think a lot of people, when they see conductors and composers and, and other fields, oh, those, those people, they have it figured out. Well, you know, you have to try. It all starts with just doing it, and by doing it, you become better. In short, Ivan, your advice to students or people going to music college is make sure you don't sit in a box and only mm -hmm. concentrate on that thing in front of you. To break open the box, to break free, to experience a myriad of other things, and only by doing that will you improve. I mean, that is just great, great advice. Thank you. There's another advice which... I would love to give because I found it almost as enriching as doing everything else. And I think it might be easier advice to take, perhaps. Chamber music, to me, has always been just a game changer. You know, it could be chamber music, okay, with another wind instrument. It could be chamber music with singing. It could be chamber music with string instruments. But, gosh, you, you find out... I've, I feel like I've learned from doing chamber music as much as I've learned from one-to-one -one lessons, just by watching other musicians, observing, asking them questions. They'll be happy to, to tell you what's difficult or what's easy and how they, they get around it, how to practice. I've learned a great, great deal of things from chamber musicians, chamber music. Um, it, it was wonderful. It's worth trying.
worth giving it a go. Well, yeah, I mean, I can see what you're saying because the sensitivity in chamber music is very high and there's nowhere to hide in chamber music, is there? No, it's a wonderful thing about it, you know, chamber music being sort of in between solo performance and uh, large ensemble performance because in, in the orchestra, in the large ensemble, there are moments to shine and moments to step back and they can last quite a while, also depending which part you're playing, could be more or less, but then when you're in chamber music, you are, it's a fusion of both. It's a fusion of, yes, you, you're as good, you know, I mean, you're as exposed as a solo player a lot of the time, but at the same time you can't be completely off the hook <laughs> and crazy about it. You, you have to <laughs> discipline yourself and, you know, play with the others. It's a great stepping stone to other areas of playing, certainly. So some great advice here to immerse yourself or be open to immersing yourself into chamber music because, well, to me, that's a no-brainer. So, Ivan, moving on to your arranging prowess, you have recently done some arrangements under the Making Life Sound Beautiful title. Where can people find these and download these free flute arrangements? They can download it on my website, which is ivanalechin.com, and there's, at the very front page, there's a button called Making Life, uh, Sound, Music, uh, Making Life Sound Beautiful. There we are. Or the Arrangements tab. And there are free PDFs, so you essentially can just click, download it, print it out, you know, spread it among your friends and play. It's a set of arrangements from you know, a wonderful wealth of great music. Classical, romantic, Wagner, Schubert, Schumann, Bach. It's something which actually feeds into what we were talking about earlier on. Well, first of all, making life sound beautiful is a philosophy. It's it's an approach, right? It's but it's also a way to discover discovery and embracing music outside of just the flute repertoire. So when we were talking about chamber music and orchestral music and listening and trying new things out, these arrangements, the idea for them, came out from that. You know, the fact that there's so much more that we can enjoy and take and learn from, that I've decided to take a number of pieces which I personally love and just make them accessible to other flute players, other musicians, put them in a PDF format, make them available for free. So anyone is welcome to go ahead and just try it. Well, the links to the video and also the PDF free sheet music download will be underneath the podcast under there, along with Ivan's website details. Ivan, what's next for the polymath that is you? The musician, the flute player, the conductor, the composer, the author. We can just keep going on and on. What's next, <laughs> sir? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess it's difficult to to pinpoint what's next. You know, sometimes you, you don't know but exactly what it is. But certainly, I guess further development, I, and more arrangements will come, I'm sure of that, I have something in the works, um, and I've got some music playing in my head, so hopefully I'll be able to write it down, and more more of the same, I guess. Can you see yourself more as a composer, a conductor, a flute player, an arranger? Are you going to try and encompass everything, or are you just going to see where the boat takes you? Mm, I guess partly to see where it takes you, of course, like many of us, you know, that do. 
you you have to see what where where you're gonna get uh, with this. But also, it again, it doesn't you know it, from one point of view, it doesn't sound that. It, sorry, it might sound strange or c composing and flute playing and arranging and all of this, but it's not very far from what musicians used to do for many many hundreds of years and decades. You know. There's nothing particularly special about it, I don't think, anyway. No, look at the Renaissance man, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I will definitely continue those aspects and see how far I can get each of them. And a very English question here. What's the weather doing in Washington, D.C. this morning? Oh, dear. You know, it's very, very British weather, very English. Kind of grey, mousy grey. Um, <laughs> not much sun, a little damp. There is hope. We're thousands of miles away from you, and it's exactly the same weather here at the moment. <laughs> yes, feels like I've never left home. <laughs> <laughs> to, to conclude on all this is home. Where is home for you? Because is home where the heart is, or is home where you're living? Home is where you make it and where people you love are. Yeah, absolutely. So it's in Washington, D.C., and in Moscow. It's, it's, you know, it's all around the world, I would say. <laughs> oh, you're such a nice guy. Ivan, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. And wishing you a great day and hope the boat continues to sail forward. Of course. Thank you, Jean-Paul. Take care. Ah, uh, it's always lovely to speak with Ivan. And thanks again to him for disrupting his very busy schedule to speak with me today. Next week, Claire is back with her latest Talking Flutes podcast. And so from me and the Talking Flutes Extra team here at Lenham, just outside of London, may I wish you a great week ahead and may your flute playing be just as wonderful. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.